Well, it's great to be here with you, whether you're here on our Canandaigua campus, part of our online campus, or Hopewell campus. Special shout out to the Hopewell campus. Great to have you with us. Um, we are in our series, uh, Kingdom Living, Volume 1. We're looking at Christ's Sermon on the Mount, uh, located in the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 5 through 7. And uh, the Lord is going to take us, in the, in the text we're going to look at this morning, he's going to take us uh, to a place where he's talking about an aspect of family and an aspect of how to keep the commitment that started family. And so you're like, what are you talking Well, we're going to get there. But before we do, let me say this, that throughout God's word, over and over again, the importance of family is, is, is stated. And it makes sense. Um, family is the number one unit in, in any society. Uh, there goes the family, there goes the society, good, bad, or ugly. That, that society is built upon the family. In fact, it's interesting when I, when I look through Scripture to realize that really uh, family was instituted before any government. In fact, family was instituted before even the church. And so family is at the heart of, of who we are as a, as a society. And, and there's really two essential elements when we speak of family. The first is marriage and the second is parenting, where God really reveals his character to us. Uh, parenting uh, is, is an interesting journey. Uh, in parenting, we learn, hopefully we learn, uh, God's tenderness and patience toward us as children. And any parents out there? Any children? Anyone's ever been a child? Uh, you know, the patience is necessary in raising kids and tenderness, and, and we learn that from God. And, and I can't tell you how many times as a parent, as I was raising kids, that, that the Lord would remind me, I've been patient with you. <laughs> I've been patient with you. And then in marriage, there's this amazing glimpse that God gives us of his compassion and devotion to us as his bride. And, and, and we see that within marriage. Is, the, is this the reality of, of God's profound love uh, for us as his children? Therefore, since family is so important, it shouldn't surprise us that in Christ's sermon, he talks about marriage faithfulness and, and what I'm going to call honest talk being honest in the conversations that we have. Both marriage and honesty are very important to the health of any society. And so that's what we're going to dig into together uh, into God's word. And we're going to begin by looking at marriage faithfulness. Let's jump right into the text. Jesus proclaims in Matthew 5, 31 through 32. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual morality makes her commit adultery. And where she marries a divorced woman, whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, before we unpack the verse, I want to remind you uh, of a hermeneutical principle, a principle we use to study and apply God's word that we looked at last week. As a matter of fact, it is the number one principle when we look at God's word that all the others are built off of. In fact, it, it's true of almost anything in life. And that is that context is, do you remember? Context is king, it's everything. Context is king. And so we're going to look at this verse in context, but in context, but before we do, I want to say a couple of things. First of all, it makes sense that in the, since the previous verses that we looked at last week, Jesus talks about that adultery is more than just an act. It begins in the heart and in the mind. But Jesus would refer to adultery as one of those things that can be devastating to a marriage. And before we go any further, I want to acknowledge something. I want to acknowledge that I believe that there's no greater unhappiness than that found in an unhappy marriage. I believe there's almost no tragedy so great as the disintegration of marital dreams. 
And I've sat across over the past 30 years many an individual, many a couple who have had marriage issues, many an individual who has, has uh, been in a devastating situation where whether they have chosen, someone else has chosen divorce and, and, and all the pain that comes from that. I, I can't presume to know your story. I can't presume to know where God would lead you. But I do believe that as we look at God's word, that there's a challenge to fight for our mar- marriages. And I believe that if we trust God, then as we come to his teaching, even those teachings that may appear difficult at first, really has in it hope. That what Jesus offers here is hope. And when he makes these words, he's stating in context, God's amazing love for both men and women. You say, well, Craig, what are you talking about? Well, let's look at the verse in context. Jesus is referring to an Old Testament law which was intended to protect a wife. Let me say it again. It was intended to protect a wife. Well, to protect her from what? Protect her from a hasty divorce by commanding the husband to give her a certificate or notification in advance. This makes little sense to us in 2021. Let's be honest. And contextually, some things don't make any sense to us. For instance, um, if, if you're a lady sitting here in 2021, you can get a job, you can, you can, you can uh, run for office, you have power, you have choices, and, and that's a good thing. I, I celebrate that with you, but this wasn't true in the day of Christ, and it certainly wasn't true in the day of Moses. And don't get upset with me, I, I wasn't part of that culture, but, but that was the culture. And what was happening was really uh, detestable to the Lord. Men were, were really treating women as if they were mere possessions. And, and they, in order to divorce them, wouldn't even really officially divorce them. They would just discard them. They would kick them out of the home. And so because of that, through the law of Moses, God says, no, you can't do that. You can't treat women like that. And, and for two reasons. Number one, because, by the way, they're my children too. And I've often said, you know, if you mess with me, you're not just messing with me, you're messing with my father. Well, that's equally true when we mess with somebody else. I'm always reminded of that. You're God's children too. So that gives me confidence if someone's messing with me, but it also keeps me in line if I'm ever tempted to mess with you. Because I'm not just messing with you, I'm messing with your father. Amen, church? And God wanted, God wanted his people to understand that. Secondly, culturally, in the time of Moses, all the way up through the time of Christ, dare I say all the way up until recent history, but especially in the ancient times, it was nearly impossible for a lady to care for herself. Like she couldn't get a job. She wasn't able to necessarily own land in many situations. And so if she was cast out of a family, her family may not even take her in to care for her. She was on her own, left her own way, with no options. No options at all. And then Jesus also refers to a cultural stigma that even came with divorce. That when a woman was divorced in the time of Christ, all the way up to the time of Christ, all the way through the time of Christ, she was looked upon as, as, and I hate to use this word, but remember, they were treated like possessions as used goods. And so if they remarried, they were never looked upon as a full wife. They were looked upon as adulterers. And a man who would marry such a woman would be looked upon the same way. And Jesus is calling that out, is what he's doing. Contextually, he's saying, this is, this is nonsense. This is unbiblical. This, this, is, this, this grieves God that we would treat each other like this. In fact, 
You know, even when we, we look at what was happening in the day of Christ, it, it, it's quite troubling. The Jewish schools were fighting over what a guy needed to have in his, like, in his, in his think tank in order to divorce a person. And so when Jesus is talking about adultery, he's saying, look, I understand that this breaks the faithfulness vow. And he, he was certainly isn't giving us one thing or, or, or do, what he's doing is he's speaking against the culture of that day that they were arguing. And, and some of the schools were saying that guy can divorce a woman basically for almost anything as long as he gives her a certificate. You know, here's her certificate, we're divorced. And some schools were really teaching that. Other schools, though, were saying there's no way you, you can't divorce Harley with anything. And, and Jesus is saying, listen, there's a problem here. There's a problem in the way that we're dealing with marriage is what he's talking about. Marriage is important. It's been instituted by God. And, and so what are, we, what are we learning from the text and in the culture? Well, the Pharisees focus much on, of their energy on determining the grounds of divorce. That's what their arguments were about. God is concerned with the institution of marriage. Catch the difference? The Pharisees, well, where's the line? When, when, when can he, I don't, and, 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 and when we look at scripture, it's like, no, marriage is important. It's worth fighting for. It's worth caring for one another. It's worth trusting in the Lord. Jesus understood that we should, and we should also, that marriage was, was instituted by God. And in most cases, marriage should stay together and, and not be separated. And, that, and that's what Jesus is standing for. And he's standing for it for the, for the sake, sanctity of marriage, but he's also standing for it for the, for the love and care of the individuals who are part of that marriage. The Pharisees called Moses' provision for divorce a command. Jesus con, con, declares it's a concession to the human heart's hardness and fallen nature. And so I've heard even people in church culture who have said, well, so-and-so had an adulterous relationship, so now they have to divorce. And Jesus isn't saying that. He's just acknowledging that that's a real huge obstacle to overcome. But let me say, as, as being a pastor now for nearly 30 years, I've worked with couples, and, and, and I've seen couples successfully navigate through this. In fact, um, one couple that, that just comes to my mind, I had both of their sons in the student ministry. I was a student pastor just out of college. In fact, I was out of college for about two years when their marriage hit this devastation. Uh, where uh, the wife had had an adulterous relationship with someone within the church. Uh, and so, and they both, by the way, were a part of the worship team. So high profile, right? And, 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 and you know, you're a young pastor, and, and, and you're, I'm looking to the other leaders of the church, and we all had faith, but to be honest with you, it wasn't looking good. Like, I have 100% trust in God. I have a hard time trusting people sometimes. Anyone ever been there? Like, I know God's in control, but sometimes I go, but God, would you please control them better? Not me, them, right? It's always about them. And, and this was one of those situations. I mean, it looked like, the, like the, this adulterous couple were going to run out. Uh, they're going to leave their spouses and families and run off. And we were praying, we were praying, and we were praying hard. Well, I'll tell you something. Something amazing happened. I, I can't really attest to anything but God's work. And she came back repentant. The husband came back to his wife repentant. In fact, they, they repented in front of the church. That was their decision to do so. And um, I don't know the other couple's story, but the one where the two boys were in the student ministry I was leading, um, they're, they're happily married some 27, 28 years later. In fact, if they were here, I wish they were because they would share. They've shared their story all over. Uh, but they would share that, that God did something after, after that devastating moment 
that took their marriage to a deeper and richer place than it had ever been before. You say, Craig, how's that possible? Well, I'm always reminded, often reminded, that the God who spoke the world into existence has the power to deal with issues. How many of you believe that? Like, if he has the power to speak, and this is what we got, what can he not handle? And it's just a beautiful picture of what God can do when we, when we place something in his hands. The Pharisees regarded divorce lightly. God, God takes it quite serious. Here's, here's the point. Marriage is intended to be a lifelong commitment between a husband and a wife. Now, certainly Jesus acknowledges that adultery breaks that commitment of faithfulness, but he also acknowledges that divorce breaks the commitment of lifelong faithfulness. And I want to speak to you as a, as a as a Christian and a pastor, I said to someone after last service, I said, this message feels more like a chat than it does a message. But I think all messages have to be sort of communicated from the heart. And so as a Christian and a pastor, I just want to tell you, whenever someone's ever come into my office and talk to me about divorce, I try to talk about the intent of marriage. Like what God's intent is for marriage. And I talk about reconciliation. At times, we're able to, to put the divorce conversation on the shelf for a while and talk about what God may want to do in this particular situation. And, and, and at other times, divorce happens, and of course, we offer grace and forgiveness and help people. That's why we have divorce and care here at the church. And if you're separated or divorced, please don't go through that alone. Let people come alongside you. Let us as a church come alongside you. See, the reality of it is this. When we, when we look at God's word, there, there's such a tension here, and the tension is between us. It's between looking at God's word and seeing the way that he's called us to live and by the way, that's the way to life. Like, like if, you, if you want to know what is it to live a joy-filled life, it's living according to God's word. Right, church? But, but the reality of it is, if you're anything like me, you've fallen short of that sometimes. If you're not, let me know how you have it. Okay? But, but we've fallen short. And I often say, you know, the, the, the two verses, I shared this last week, but I shared it again because I think we have to understand this tension. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man, but God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you're tempted, provide your way out of it. What's he saying? He's saying, I've asked you to live like this. I've given you my spirit. You can succeed. Where's the other part of the tension? What's 1 John 1, 9? If you, if you sin, right? Confess your sins and God is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Well, if you have 1 Corinthians 10, 13 in Scripture, why is there a 1 John 1, 9? Because we're not in paradise yet. Because even though, even if we're in Christ, he's done a work in us and we're becoming more and more like Jesus, I'm still not where I ought to be. You've heard me say this. I, 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 I'm not where I ought to be, but I thank God I'm not where I used to be. I'm still a work in progress. How about you? And because of that, there, there's forgiveness and mercy and grace from God the Father, no matter what we've gone through. I've sat across from an individual who was in a marriage many times, unfortunately. I've sat across, and they want to fight for their marriage, and the other person doesn't. And so what do you do? I, I, you know, I, you do what you can do, and then you trust God before you end up. And you say, well, that doesn't sound hopeful. Sure it is. God always offers hope. And so I can look at the person in the eyes and say, look, if you're pursuing God in this, even if you get a divorce, God has a plan for you. And by the way, if you were the person who didn't want to fight for your marriage and got a divorce, you know, remember 1 John 1, 9? We ask forgiveness. And what is he faithful and just to do to forgive us and cleanse us from all of our sin? He still has a plan for you too. 
when you come to him in that way. God is a God of first, second, third, and fourth chances. Amen, church? And and so what Christ is doing, he's saying, here's the idea. I'll tell you what, I've, I've never encouraged a single person to get a divorce. But I have encouraged separation. I don't feel it's my right to encourage divorce. That's a person's decision between God. You say, well, well what do you mean? Well, I've, I've encouraged separation. Let me tell you, I want, I want this to be very clear. I want you to hear it from your pastor's mouth because some churches have misrepresented this. If you're in an unsafe situation, get out of it. Do you hear what I said? Or some churches say, no, no, don't get out. You if you're in an unsafe situation, no one should be in an unsafe situation. Get out of it. I've encouraged that. Some of you may be upset with me. I don't care. I'm going to speak the truth, and and that's the truth. And and Jesus is talking about, because of the hardness of people's hearts and because of sin in the world, that that divorce is a reality we wrestle with, and yet what he's saying is, but we don't have to. First John 1, 9, yeah, it comes into play where we need forgiveness because of the sin that we deal with and the sin that we wrestle with. But, But 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is a reality, and that God wants to give us victory in our marriages. And yet in the context, it's important to understand that Jesus is speaking to how women in marriages up through the time of Moses, up to the time of Christ, up until really recent decades, were victimized. They weren't treated as, as, as full people. And, and Jesus is like, that's not right. That's, that's your sister in Christ. And so think about that. He's saying, take it seriously. Now, by the way, if it was 2021, he wouldn't just be saying that to guys because we all have power now. He'd be saying to every woman in this room that the, the men, that's your brother in Christ. Wives, that's your brother in Christ. Husbands, that's your sister in Christ. Treat each other accordingly. Love me, he's saying, love each other. So how do we, how do we strengthen marriages? Well, first of all, you gotta guard your heart. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence, for from it springs life. I, I sat across, I shared about that couple about 27, 28 years ago, and I sat across from the husband in the midst of the wife probably looking like she was going to uh, run off with this guy, and, and he was showing such love, and I asked the question, I said, hey, can I ask you something? And he said, anything, which by the way, no one really means, not anything, right? I mean, come on. But he said it, and, and so I asked, I said, I just got to ask you, how can you show such love for her when she's not showing you any?" I just, I wanted to know. And I loved his answer. He said, I don't have a clue. He said, I, he said, he said, I do, but he said, it's not me. It's got to be from God. He said, I prayed, Lord, give me a love for her. Because he said, I found myself starting to hate her. And he said, I prayed, Lord, give me a love for her. Exchange his hate for love. And lo and behold, God was faithful. Come on, church. I'll never forget that. Those words were were encouraging and some of the most challenging words I've ever had spoken to me in my entire life. What God can do is amazing. And again, I wish I could have them up here because what a story, what a journey, what victory they have found in Christ. Secondly, watch your eyes. We looked at this a lot last week, but I couldn't look over because it's so important and we're going to dig in just for a second, but... I love the context of the verse I'm about to share with you. Job. Now, some of you know the first book of the Bible I ever read through was Job. No one told me where to start, so I, I read through Job. Do not start with Job. If you've never read a book in the Bible ever, start with one of the Gospels. Mark is a great one. It's fast. It's active. Not Job. 
But if you can read through Job and continue on, every other book's pretty easy. <laughs> Job is dealing with some friends who were saying something, which is not true, but was culturally thought. And that was, Job, you're going through a terrible time, so you must have done something wrong. Now, we understand scripturally that bad things happen to good people. And by the way, good things happen sometimes to bad people, right? So Job wants to correct them. And listen to what he says, Job 31.1. I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? In other words, he's saying, I didn't do anything wrong. I've watched what my eyes have watched. This isn't about that. And I want to tell if you want your marriage to succeed, you've got to watch what you're watching. In fact, let me take it a little step further. You've got to watch what you're listening to. One of the first questions I ever ask a couple who come into my office who are having marriage issues is who is speaking into your life? Because there's well-intentioned people who may say things that are contrary to what God would say to you, contrary to scripture. I've heard people say to me, well, my friends have told me I deserve someone better. Well, first of all, none of us deserve much. Come on, right? We deserve to be treated with respect and love, sure. But outside of that, come on. And, and let me ask you this. If someone's feeding that into your mind and you start believing it, what's the success of your marriage? You're already looking. You're looking for better. And by the way, better may not be better either. And, and the other thing I've heard some people say is, well, you deserve to be happy. I've had people ask me that question. Don't you think God wants me to be happy? Here's the answer. I don't know. Maybe not. You go, what? I know that's not popular, but God may not want you happy. If, if you're living contrary to God's word, he don't want you happy because he wants you to come back to him. Come on, church. Happiness is fleeting. Happiness usually, when someone says, you want me, don't you think God wants me to be happy? You know what they're asking? Don't you think God wants me to do whatever I want to do? And the answer is no. God wants you to have joy. And joy only comes through character. God's more concerned about your character than your happiness because character is what leads to joy. Happiness sometimes leads to destruction. And so sometimes you have to do the hard work to get the benefit. And, and, and so, so watch what you watch. Watch who you let speak into your life. Let the right people in. I have a small group of people who speak into my life. When we were early married, most of us married people who we all knew. We were all in college. We all got married after our senior year. We all knew each other's spouses and and, and that was sort of fun until you had a tough conversation where, where, someone would, where, you, where someone would start talking about how tough something was in their marriage and we'd hear him and we'd go, you know what, I think you're just being a jerk. You say, you guys said that? Yeah, we said that. It's in there in scripture somewhere, I think. <laughs> Thou shalt not be a jerk. And, 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 and we would call each other out. Can I tell you something? I'm going to say it anyway. I feel like I'm going to get in trouble this morning, but I feel more comfortable there anyway, so... Let's just lay it out there. One of the problems with marriages in our culture is, is the weakening of the church. And part of the reason why the church has become weakened is because men don't speak up toward men anymore and women don't speak up toward women anymore. And I don't mean hate. I'm talking to truth and love. There's a difference. Those people who speak into my life and can speak into my life anyway, they love me. They want what's best for me. And that's why they have permission to say whatever they want to say to get me on the right track. If they didn't love me, I wouldn't even listen to them. You feel what I'm saying? But because they do love me, they're going to say the right stuff, and they're going to say it, and they're going to say it pointed. Like, I'm not going to miss the point. And, and I'm telling you, 
Men need to get in each other's faces again in love. And women in each other's faces again in love. We, we have to love each other enough to say, my relationship with you is important, but not more important than your relationship with God. Come on, church. I love you too much to not talk about this with you. So watch what we watch. Third is honor your marriage, Malachi 2, 15 through 16. Did he not make that, that them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And when was the one, what was the one going God speaking? Godly's offspring. So guard yourselves and your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the, God, the Lord of hosts. So guard yourself in the spirit and do not be faithless. What's happening there? Now, by the way, I just want to be really clear on this too, because I think sometimes we can look at scripture and think, well, that's great because everything is written towards God, towards guys when it comes to marriage. But again, it's because women didn't have much power then. In 2021, that could be written to either one of us, okay? We're on the same page there? He's saying there's a purpose in marriage, it's twofold. Number one is to honor God. Number two, he says there's a part where it's to produce godly offspring. Now, Jesus changes that when he comes. He says it's not just about procreation in the biological sense, it's about procreation in the spiritual sense. In other words, whether you're a parent who has biological kids or not, any of us who are older in this room have the privilege and responsibility to raise up spiritual children, which means that our marriages in this room, our lives in this room, are to be a witness to the children of what it means to walk in Jesus. Now, by the way, that means we have to be honest about our marriages, not to the extent where we let everything out and are inappropriate, but to the reality where we don't want children to think that marriages are all perfect because if they think that, they're going to be rudely disappointed when they get married. But they can be blessed. They can be strong. They can, as you, as you grow as a couple, you can, you can become more and more one in Christ. Come on, families. And that's what the children need to see. If you believe you have a perfect marriage, come up to me afterwards. Number one, I either want to pray for you because there's something wrong. Or I want to learn how you're doing that perfectly. My wife and I, she was obviously marrying a pastor. And so I had a class assignment while we were engaged to write a pre-marriage counseling sessions. I think I had to marry, write out six or eight of them. And so I did my research by having her go through two or three pre-marriage counseling sessions with different pastors. I asked her if she would do that, and she graciously said yes, which was truly an act of love. And one of the pastors in our community did something quite, quite interesting. He actually uh, had groups come in for part of the counseling. And there were like five of us in there, five couples. And one of the couples said, we never fight. To which my first thought was, they're lying. How's that even possible? What do you mean, you never have a disagreement? But as we were leaving to go to lunch, we had a lunch break. This is the honest God truth. One of them said to the other, where do you want to eat? And the other said, I don't care. Where do you want to eat? I don't care. Where do you want to eat? And we just all left them there. They were the first ones back. I really don't think they ever left. And I thought, well, that's not healthy. I don't even think they're eating. You know, I mean, they're just, you know, this is sort of a weird thing here. There's no doubt. I say, I say there's no doubt in marriage that, that you take two imperfect people and put them together, there's going to be some issues. Right? And that's where I'll often say in pre-marriage counseling, why do you want to get married? And they say, well, we love each other. I go, what else? And they go, isn't love enough? I go, no, 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 no. No, it certainly is not. You better be committed to this thing. Because you're going to have days where that love just doesn't 
feel like you love anymore. I tell people, I don't wake up feeling like I love anything. Any, any people out there not like morning? You know, I never wake up and go, woo, when is it going to be? A... I wake up going, Lord Jesus, help me. Let's do this thing. Nighttime, I'm there. Morning is sort of a little rough for a little bit. You know, so I don't, and so the feelings, they, they can, but commitment, there's, there's something. Chris and I have often joked that divorce was never part of our vocabulary. Murder, maybe, but never divorce. <laughs> never divorce. It made all the difference. It made all the difference. I mean, it really did make all the difference. And so Jesus is talking about the importance of, of keeping this commitment and what God can do in the midst of, and of course, not forgetting the total of Scripture and saying, but there's forgiveness and there's grace. And so if you're dealing with a divorce or separation or, or have been, God, God has, has something in store for you. Don't, don't focus on, on the failure. Focus on the victory God wants to give you. That's the total teaching of Scripture. But he goes right into honest talk. Look at Matthew 5, through 37. Again, you've heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what, what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. That, of course, has changed in our culture. Verse 37, let what you, simply, let, let, let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than that comes from the evil one. What's, Je what's Jesus dealing with here? Well, he was dealing with these rabbinic schools again who were teaching that you could, like if you made a commitment by God, you had to keep that commitment. But if you made a commitment and not really by God, you didn't have to. It, it was, remember when you were a kid crossing your fingers? Well, I don't think, I, I crossed my fingers. Or you say, my shoelaces were crossed. So no matter what you said ever had to be true. And Jesus is saying, that doesn't work. <laughs> remember, cross your heart, hope to die. You never broke that one because no one hoped to die. You know? and, and Jesus is saying, you shouldn't have to do that. You see, you shouldn't have to take a, a, an oath. You shouldn't have to make a vow. Let your yes be no. Let be your yes be yes, your no be no. Anybody who makes a vow, in other words, should keep it. And, and, and so how do, we, how do we make sure we have honest talk? Well, we need, we need to be truthful in our speech. Proverbs 12, 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Remember, he, he just talked about marriage and his marriage commitment. Now he's talking about vows in a broader sense. But honesty is, is, is the key to any relationship, whether it be marriage, business, anything in society. So he's saying, if you say it, make sure you're being truthful. In other words, there's no such thing as a, as a white lie. Be a person of truth. Mean what you say. Be careful what you promise. Ecclesiastes 5, verses 2 and 5. But not, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Let the, let, therefore, let your words be few. There's good advice, by the way. Therefore, let your words be few. It is better that you should not vow than that you should make a vow and not pay. I, I ask again, how many parents in here? How many have ever been a child? You, 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 know, you know this lesson. If you've ever been a parent, you certainly know this lesson. I mean, you may know it from the child side, too. When you say to your child something like this, I can't take you to the park today, but I'll take you tomorrow. Then you wake up, and all of a sudden you go, uh-oh, and it's pouring down rain. And the child says, you said you were going to take me to the park. Now, they don't understand the nuance of life, right? And you try to explain to them, you can't go, it's pouring down rain, we'll get soaked. But you said, and then you learn your lesson, right? 
Then what you say is, we can't go to the park today. We'll try to go tomorrow, but we don't know what tomorrow is going to hold. See the difference? Watch what we promise, church. Watch what we promise. If we give our word on something, we need to follow up on it. Be faithful in your follow-through. That, that would be the first, third thing. So, so be truthful in your speech. Be careful of your promise. If you've made a promise, be faithful in your follow-through. Christians should say what they mean and mean what they say. It all goes full circle. And, and here's the good news. God always means what he says and says what he means. And the scripture says, I, God, God speaking himself, he says, I am faithful even to the faithless. He's faithful to us. He's true to us. Stott summing up this passage. I love Stott's insights. He, he writes this. He says, if divorce is due to human hard-heartedness, swearing is due to human untruthfulness. No simpler words ever said. And no greater hope ever offered in Scripture than to realize that wherever you find yourself on your journey this morning, whether it be in marriage or in, in, in truthfulness or, or whatever else, but the tensions of Scripture are still in play. But God has told us in his word how to live and on the other hand offers us grace and mercy when we come to him because we haven't lived up to it. That God never gives up on us it's we who give up on ourselves or him. And just like I said last week, I just want to encourage you. God does not want us to focus on our failings. He wants us to confess them. He wants us to receive forgiveness. And then he wants us to move on. God is always pointing to victory. And God has shown us the path and has provided the way for the path. The pathway is always through Christ. And he's the one who's provided it. For he's the one who's died for our sins, resurrected for our salvation, and gives us his very spirit, the very power of God in us to allow us to move on with him. And so wherever you find yourself this morning, I just encourage you, seek out Christ. And if we as a church family can help you uh, in any way in your journey, let us, let us do that as well. We're here for one another, right, church? We're here for one another. We're family. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for loving us enough to put the truth in your word. I, I would guess that if any of us wrote scripture ourselves without any inspiration of your spirit, it would look quite different. It, 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 would, it would be lacking things that need to be said and maybe saying things in ways that wouldn't be clear because we just wouldn't want to hurt someone's feelings or or cause any riff, and yet you love us so much that you just throw the truth out there, and you call us to it. You call us to it, and you give us the power through your spirit to, to live out that truth, and yet you're such a God of love and profound power, but you say that even in our failings, that if we'll give them to you, not only, not only will you forgive us, but you'll somehow use them to make us even stronger if we'll walk with you. And so, God, I pray your healing upon this church family and anyone else, Lord God, who may be listening in, that, Lord God, you would, you would just draw them to you. Father God, I pray that if anyone's yet to receive you as Lord and Savior, that even now in the quietness of their heart, they thank you for dying for their sins, being resurrected for their salvation. 
but they would begin that relationship with you that they've been created for. And God, again, anyone in here who's, who's gone through the devastation of divorce or even now maybe is having some marriage issues, I pray, Lord, that they wouldn't go through this stuff alone, but they would let people speak truth and love into their life. Let us as a church family come around them. And God, I thank you for being so faithful, even in times where I've been faithless. God, thank you for, for sharing your love with me when I've at times not been so lovable. And God, thank you for not just saying you love me, but demonstrating it on the cross and each and every day that you draw me to have a walk with you. God, thank you for the blessing of gathering here this morning as we scatter. May we take your love and message to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.